Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back. Welcome, 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 I should say, to another edition of the Sea Report. We are coming to you live today on this uh, Wednesday, November 24th, 2021. I am your host, Mr. C, and I must say it is great to be back. I'm sure some of you all might have noticed, but... Uh, been off the air for about a week and a few days. Actually, it's been almost about two weeks I've been off uh, the air if uh, you're counting uh, date today. <laughs> so just shy of two weeks, we were off the air. I do apologize to all of you out there who uh, might have missed the show or was wondering what was going on with me. Uh, and I thank all of you uh, who got in touch, all of you for your prayers. I was uh, pretty ill the last two weeks. Uh, so uh been able to uh, push through that. I uh, got a lot of rest, got a lot of recuperation. Uh, still not 100% out of it yet, but that is just how it goes sometimes with the old uh, immune system, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, some of the other things that happen in your day-to-day -day life. But it is great to be back live and on the air with you all here tonight. And uh, yeah, so we're doing it live tonight, ladies and gentlemen. We are a little bit earlier than we normally do. Uh, we've been doing a 7.30 p.m. Central time slot for, poof, man, the last few months. Uh, today, just a little bit early. We'll see. A uh, few minor changes probably coming up for the Mr. CTV channel and for the C Report. Nothing too big. We might be looking at uh, different uh, time slots for the show to come out and stuff like that. I don't know. All you people out there, uh, all you great uh, viewers, audience members, and of course the family over at uh, the foxhole.app and pill.net, uh, you're more than welcome to uh, give me a suggested time slot, actually. I don't mind. Uh, I really don't mind. I have uh, pretty much free reign over what time this show airs live. What time is best live for you to catch the C Report is uh, kind of what I'm curious about. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, I could say for certain that uh, you'll want to watch the schedule. You'll want to watch, uh, I don't know, maybe the thecreport.com to see when the next show will come on live. Uh, for tomorrow, which will be Thanksgiving, we will be doing a broadcast tomorrow for Thanksgiving. And um, we'll probably do it along around this time as well. 7, 7.30, just like old times, probably just for a little bit of stability, but uh, just a heads up, guys, time slots will probably be changing. I've been toying with an idea about uh, how I want uh, the report and other broadcasting that we do on Mr. CTV to come out, uh, when I want it to come out, I should say, because uh, as you know, we don't just do the C report over here at Mr. CTV. Uh, we also do uh, Mr. C in the Dark, which will be coming back, of course. And yes, it will still be in the dark. Will it be at midnight? I don't know yet. Will it be uh, solely on Friday and Saturday as it has been since its inception? 
possibly and possibly not. Uh, but then, of course, we also have Lone Star News, where we talk specifically about Texas news and current events. Uh, we have a special guest coming up on uh, Lone Star News pretty soon. Uh, so I will give you some more details on that as soon as it's available. And then, of course, uh, the whole host of other things I like to do on this network, on this uh, on this channel. Uh, so uh, rest assured, you know, if you can't always make the live broadcast, you can always catch the replay. Uh, but we are uh, back live tonight, and it's good to be back, guys. It is really good to be back. I missed I missed the lot of y'all. I missed doing this. Um, if any of you guys had a chance to check it out last Friday, I actually got to do a live spot uh, with uh, Gino Reven um, over at uh, his, his channel. Now, we are broadcasting on multiple platforms, of course. So if, uh, if uh, any of you out there who do not know about the Gino Reven show, uh, that's an exclusive to the foxhole.app and to pill.net. So if you'd like to check that out, last Friday I was on his show. I had a really good conversation with him and Gino from Insight. I know there's there were two Genos guys <laughs> that night. That night was fun, and you know it was also a much needed uh, much needed night for uh, some camaraderie. That's uh, camaraderie with the C, not with a K. We're not communists here, after all. And uh, and laughs uh, because uh, laughter, man, I can tell you, I needed it, guys. Laughter is the best medicine, and I can vouch for that a thousand percent. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so check that out, guys, uh, go over to pill.net, the foxhole.app, click on Gino Reven's show, check out his last Friday show if you want to hear what we were gabbing about. And, uh, I gotta say, uh, Gino asked me a question on that show that I totally and royally goofed up on. And, uh, so I'm going to do a correction now at the head of the episode, because I felt like a royal, how you say douche <laughs> after... I thought about it and you know I had so many uh I had so many uh, clues coming in at me as the night advanced I don't know how it didn't dawn on me but I my I still had a fever addled brain so I guess that might have been part of it uh but um he'd asked me if I'd been interviewed uh by other uh, content creators over at the foxhole.app and uh uh TikTok of TikTok's channel it used to be called TikTok's opinion was the first one that came to my mind uh, and I totally goofed uh, on the uh, loyal to the foil interview that I did. So, ladies and gentlemen, I don't need to tell you to go check out loyal to the foil. Uh, Fam has far more fans and audience members than I do. But if you don't know who loyal to the foil is, go check out her show. She's on multiple platforms, including the Foxhole and Pill.net, as well as on um, Rockfin and and other places. Uh, she's great, great personality, great warm spirit. I know I don't need to butter her up. I'm sure she forgives me. <laughs> but I've also been on her show as well. So I thought I would mention that at the head of today's episode, because I felt so bad afterwards. I was like, dang, I can't believe I forgot that. But anyways, ladies and gentlemen, it is good to be back. Um, and uh, yeah, we got uh, we got some news for you guys tonight. Missed out on a lot of stuff. I'm sure you all have been keeping up with uh, since I've been off of the airwaves. Um, <clears throat> I guess the uh, number one thing here uh, that we would say would be the uh, the uh, Kyle um, Rittenhouse uh, trial, right? And his uh, his um, vindication, as it were. And indeed, it was a vindication not just for Kyle himself, uh, but it was a vindication really for all Americans. 
And uh, for all of those who can see beyond the media lies and all of those who can see beyond uh, the spin and the propaganda that the mainstream, lamestream, fake news, legacy media pushes in our faces every day. And uh, it was a great refute to that. And it was a great refute to the illegitimate president of this country uh, who I honestly hope they uh, they I hope they take him to a lawsuit. And uh, can you imagine that a sitting president uh, being uh, convicted <laughs> for, uh, you know, for um, gross uh, uh, mis misalignment of truth when we're talking about uh, the things that he said, the defamation, uh, the way that he spurred on the division, the provocation of the entire situation, you know, should not even be making a comment on a trial or a situation such as that other than, you know, uh, maybe to condemn the rioters who were out in the streets as Kyle was trying to defend himself. Uh, but indeed, ladies and gentlemen, uh, congratulations. And I'm glad to see that justice was served uh, in that regard. And since then, though, ladies and gentlemen, I've heard some interesting and crazy things about the entire Kyle Rittenhouse situation. I don't even know if I dare bring up those topics here. I got, uh, I got reports of people saying it's not even the man. And, uh, you know, he was probably a child from Sandy Hook. So that's some interesting stuff there. I don't know if you guys have heard any of that going on uh but uh yeah ladies and gentlemen that's what i'm talking about uh now for tonight's report um i don't know how long we'll be here we may be here an hour an hour and a half possibly two uh but i do have a set of stories together for you guys to share with and uh, so we'll just get through all of that but before we do i do want to say hello to uh the uh family over at pill.net the foxhole.app uh, for those of you who are listening abroad and who are listening on other platforms, well, you know, we tend to show a little bit more love, or a little biased for a free speech platform like uh, foxhole.app and pill.net. So uh, we say hello, ladies and gentlemen, and a uh, great big thank you to uh, dpatriot1776 for gifting a cookie. Hello, it's good to see you. Groucho the second, good to see you as well, and thank you for uh, the warm welcomes. Casual GG, I missed you, hun. Glad to see you in the audience today. And uh, it's great to be here. Happy Thanksgiving to all uh, as we are here at Thanksgiving Eve. One, two, three, SKG. It is great to see you as well. Joan of Sark, how are you doing? One, two, three, SKG. Keeping it cool with the shades over there. Thank you so much. And uh, a Curious Cat, how's it going? Curious Cat, good to see you in the audience as well tonight. Hope you guys are looking forward to the show. Uh, my friend, Ohio Kimi, hola chica. Thank you so much for uh, being with us today and also for gifting that cookie. Thank you so much. And uh, yes, yeah, Shmeez. Hey, Shmeez, what's going on? How are you doing? Uh, let's see here. Uh, I did not have any of those problems with, uh, oh, well, I don't know if pill.net is the same thing as redpill.net, sir. But uh, I've had no problems on my end. And Jonas Sark has a question. And this is in regards to the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. The question is, what's the difference between Kyle and CV Diasinueva? Now, you guys probably know why I am uh, uh, absconding from saying that word. The answer is Kyle's three shots were effective. 
Good one, good one, Joan of Sark. Very effective. Oh, God. The manner of memes and jokes that have come out <laughs> of that entire, uh, entire scenario uh, is just... Uh, they're rich, ladies and gentlemen. They are quite rich. But uh, awesomeness, awesomeness. Glad to see you guys. And, you know, I got to say also uh, two things first before we get into tonight's report. Uh, the gold pills. Uh, if you might have noticed, I was uh, thanking some of the listeners for donating cookies and shades. Uh, it's a form of it's a form of monetary support that they have over at uh, foxhold.atandpill.net uh, that uh, uh, help, you know, keep the lights on and stuff like that. I got to say on my part, ladies and gentlemen, uh, regarding uh, my illness and being out, uh, you know, I don't go to the doctors, you know, I don't go to the doctors. So I was basically writing it out uh, the entire time, which is why it took me a bit longer to get back on the air. And of course, I'm a one man band over here. So I, you know, I tried playing some reruns, you know, uh, not all of them are obsolete, you know, as headlines tend to get obsolete, or they get a little stale, you know, um, but, uh, you know, uh, I gotta say guys, uh, if it weren't for the donations that come into the show, um, if it weren't for the gold pill donations that come into the show as well, over on those two platforms, I would not have been able to get the medication that I needed. And I, I really, uh, I really, um, I really held back from going into a little bit of a dive into this entire, uh, uh, most favored nation executive order that President Trump had signed at the end of his uh, first term in office. You know, uh, he signed the executive order in July. Uh, he strengthened it in uh, November, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, but it, it never went through, of course. And so, you know, I was kind of digging into that a little bit um, as I was, uh, you know, um, uh, bed bound, I guess you could say. And uh, looking into, you know, all of the opposition that it faced, you know, you had uh, Obama era and Clinton era lawyers that were basically, I mean, not lawyers, judges. Uh, there was a Clinton appointed judge that basically had put a big stop on that, uh, put a big old, uh, put a big old um, uh, stop on the entire process countrywide. And then, of course, uh, as recently as uh, this month, uh, we had uh, illegitimate Joe Biden finally basically pulling the plug on the entire favored nations in favor of uh, in favor of whatever they passed in their trillion dollar communist uh, bill that they passed uh, that would lower, you know, um, lower prescription drugs for some uh, in some cases for the elderly specifically, but not much for anything else. Um, and so, man, I tell you, like, if it hadn't been for y'all's donations out there, guys, like my medicine was almost two hundred dollars. And uh, because of you guys, I was able to get it. So I uh, thank you again from my heart to yours for your support. It really, really did help. Uh, so thank you again, because I, I don't go to the doctor. OK, <laughs> I went to the ER. That's where I <laughs> went. <laughs> Anyways, guys. All right. It's great to be back here with you all. And then, oh, secondly, of course, before I said I said it, two things. Uh, secondly, of course, before we jump in, um, uh, a big thanks to the podcast listeners. Uh, even though I was off the air for about two weeks, the podcast kept on going. Uh, people still listening to old episodes. Uh, the uh, two reruns that I played while I was out, uh, one being um, the uh, expose on the Truman National Security Project, not to be confused with the National Security uh, Council, 
right? Uh, that actually did very well, as well as the uh, episode that we did on the mRNA versus the uh, you know CD19 jabs, right? So uh, that was uh, that was uh, also one that was well received, and those are the only two episodes that I basically put out uh, while I was off line, I guess you could say. And uh, still, so thank you all to the uh, listeners over there at the podcast as well. Uh, the podcast does does garner a little bit of revenue for the show, but hey, we'll take what we can get. Uh, so make sure you uh, check out uh, the podcast that's at anchor.fm slash the C report. Um, of course, you could also just uh, search the C report on your favorite podcast player. Subscribe. It's free. All episodes are always free. And uh, every time you give a listen, you know, we get like a couple of pennies. It adds up, though, guys. So thank you very much for that again. All right, guys. So let's go ahead and jump into day's report um, real quick. Uh, Empress Beach to you. Thumper Rose, I see you there. And I am happy to see you all. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, again, thank you all for your prayers and uh, your well wishes during that time period. Uh, you know, I, I get sick about once a year. Uh, but this was something else. So, uh, all right, guys, let's jump into it. We're going to start with uh, some statements from Trump, President Trump. We have a few statements to share with you guys today. We're not going to get too crazy tonight, right? I'm still a little, still a little, you know, sensitive, <laughs> but we're going to get into it either way. Oh, man, the show must go on, as Microwave Marge would say. So let us go ahead and get rolling with it. Uh, first uh, statement from President Trump today comes from November 22nd. So you guys might have caught this one already. It says the whole world is watching the tragedy which just took place in Waukesha, Wisconsin. It is devastating, horrible, and very, very sick. My heart goes out to the people of this great, beautiful, and hardworking community. We must find the answers to this terrible crime and stop these violent and depraved acts from happening again. I'm with you, Waukesha, and always will be. And indeed, guys, that was another big one. But this one, of course, most recently uh, happening just a few days ago, uh, where we had uh, we had a driver uh, who uh, just uh, ran through what was a Christmas Day parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin. A uh, terrible thing to happen. Of course, you know, you're going to have all of your side stories, your misaligned stories, and even propaganda mixed into there. You get a little bit of truth, but of course, you got to come to shows like The Sea Report. You got to go to independent journals to really get the scoop on what's going on. Um, and so uh, with Waukesha, well, we had this, uh, the man's name was Daryl Brooks. Of course, uh, they'll probably get on me for that if I don't say it uh, with an urban twist. So Darrell Brooks... Uh, this man was charged five counts of first-degree intentional homicide. And the uh, latest tragedy from that being, of course, that a sixth victim has passed away from this uh, grisly, um, grisly act. And that was an eight-year-old boy who had been in hospital care, intensive care, since it happened. Uh, for the, He ran right into the dancing grannies. That was probably... 
I mean, I don't even understand, you know, um, we'll, I'm sure we'll learn more of the motive, of course, you know, uh, being a, like a conservative America first type of, um, you know, broadcast, we could definitely say, oh, well, this man was a Black Lives Matter supporter. Uh, this man was a, a Trump hater. Uh, he did not like Trump. He was a member of the F Trump grifter rap movement, right? Uh, and, and trying to, you know, uh, spin his tunes and and sing his bars about uh, President Trump and his dislike of him. Um, and then, of course, uh, we have a crooked DA involved in this as well. John uh, Chisholm, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. You know, j just the entire situation. Uh, we have to ask why, you know, this kind of thing is happening. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this DA might have been one of those that jumped on the bandwagon with George Soros probably back in like, I don't know, uh, the mid 2000 teens, right? Whenever Soros was doing his entire uh, Secretary of State, uh, District Attorney and uh, Attorney General roundup, right? And trying to get all these people in uh, with the uh, with the cost of his own coin and getting them into place, helping their campaigns, and also, of course, uh, a mudslinging against, uh, uh, you know, opponents, uh, political opponents or candidates that would have been uh, vying for the same position. So a lot of stuff to look at right in there. And then, of course, uh, if you were to actually look at Waukesha, Wisconsin in general, like just a, a brief overview of Waukesha, Wisconsin, and, and why that might have actually been considered a conservative stronghold in Wisconsin, uh, we see that um, Waukesha County and uh, the Waukesha County Republicans uh, Party specifically, they were one of the only counties who were backing a full forensic audit in August of this year. So if you go back to August, you know, we already have what? Uh, we already have the, um, uh, the Arizona Maricopa County full forensic audit of the 2020 election. We have that already coming to its conclusion. We have uh, every all of the evidence that's coming out of Georgia. We have big fights happening in Pennsylvania. We have the dismissed case, uh, which was rather lamely dismissed in Michigan in Antrim County. So we already have a whole bunch of election integrity movement and, and, and battling going on here. And uh, Wisconsin, which is heavily contested, and is currently still, in a manner of speaking, under a lot of fire in regards to election fraud. In August, you had Waukesha County being one of the only counties in Wisconsin that was actually standing up for election integrity and wanted a forensic audit in their county, let alone in their state, of course. And then uh, back in October of 2020, uh, President Trump did hold a rally in Waukesha, Wisconsin as well. So President Trump was actually in the, on the ground there in Wisconsin um, in, uh, in, in October of 2020. Uh, and uh, uh, looking back further, uh, we see that uh, the people of Waukesha have actually been fighting for election integrity and have been fighting against election fraud as far back as 2011, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, that uh, Darrell Brooks uh, went from Milwaukee to Waukesha and uh, did this heinous crime. Uh, you know, based on this, I mean, maybe it's reaching, but you know, you could very well say this guy was definitely out uh, to make some kind of a political statement. Uh, I think recent headlines and stories kind of say that he wasn't, it was not to be considered domestic terrorism. 
but you know, a man involved with this Black Lives Matter, a man who does not like conservatives, who is clearly against someone like President Trump, um, uh, kind of causes you to wonder what his real motives were. And of course, we did see spin like he was fleeing the police or he was running away from someone. I even saw I don't even know if this was fake or not, but I saw a tweet and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong out there. Okay. Or if you guys know if this has been debunked or what have you, but I saw, I saw a tweet and I should have screenshotted it, but I saw a tweet from uh, the old snake herself, Hillary Clinton uh, that said something to the effect that uh, it's a tragedy. What happened in Wisconsin uh, the man's GPS, he misread it. Now, I don't know if that was fabricated. I don't know if someone photoshopped that. But man, I tell you what, I was like, okay, Hillary, if this is a real, indeed, tweet, uh, clearly you don't drive. <laughs> because uh, a GPS might run a man into a parade incidentally, but uh, the man should be able to see a whole crowd of people walking through the street regardless of what the GPS says. So if that was a real genuine tweet, I can definitely see why it was removed. Uh, because uh, if a woman can't uh, tell the difference between how not to drive into a crowd of people because of GPS, well, the woman probably shouldn't be leading uh, the greatest nation in the world, right? Yeah, that's kind of what I think, too. 123SKG says, who's the judge that released him? I'm not sure. I know his bell was set at, uh, what, 5 million? Isn't that what I said? Uh, I think his bell was set at 5 million. It was previously set for $1,000, y'all. It was previously set for $1,000. But now where we're talking about uh, the crooked DA, John Chisholm, I think he had something to do uh, with uh, him getting off easy on a previous crime. Uh, in fact, there was uh, an article about some previous crimes. Oh, actually, let's let's pull that up real quick. Uh, so this way you guys can see what I'm talking about. I found this article here. This one's from Breitbart. Let's see what she's got to say about this man. It kind of outlines uh, some of the other uh, crimes that this man is guilty of. <laughs> uh, headline reads, Wisconsin Parade Massacre Suspect Convicted for Impregnating Teen Girl. Okay. So uh, I didn't have a picture of the man ready, but this again here, this is the Darrell Brooks guy or Daryl Brooks. I don't know if I want to say it white or if I want to say it urban, but there you have it. Uh, the suspect set to be charged with killing five Americans, now six, and injuring 48 others in Waukesha, Wisconsin during a Christmas parade is also a registered sex offender in the state of Nevada records reveal. Let me go and expand that a little bit more for you guys. And it says here, uh, Darrell E. Brooks Jr., 39, has been arrested and is expected to be charged with five counts of first-degree intentional homicide in Waukesha County after he allegedly plowed through crowds at the city's annual Christmas parade on Sunday evening. I don't know what that is. <clears throat> it says, uh, so far, five Americans have been confirmed dead. Again, we're up to six now, and 48 others remain injured. Some of the victims are children. Records out of Nevada reveal that Brooks has been a tier two registered sex offender since November 1, 2006, when he was convicted of statutory sexual seduction. The conviction indicates that Brooks had sexual intercourse, anal intercourse, or sexual penetration with a 14 or 15 year old who was at least four years younger than him at the time. The Washoe County's Sheriff's Office in Nevada confirmed 
that they have an active warrant out on Brooks for his non-compliance with sex offender laws. According to the sheriff's office, Brooks impregnated a 15-year-old girl and was sentenced to probation. Brooks was subsequently arrested for not complying with sex offender laws in 2016, but skipped out on his bail in the case and did not appear in Nevada criminal court. Uh, here's some of his other convictions listed here. Uh, from 2002 to 2020, in addition to the rape conviction, Brooks has been convicted on felony drug charges, convicted for obstructing an officer, charged with reckless endangerment, charged with having a firearm as a felon, pleaded no contest for allegedly strangling a woman, pleaded guilty to drug and bail jumping charges, pleaded guilty to resisting arrest, pleaded guilty to felony drug charges. Okay, and the Waukesha County District Attorney's Office expects to officially charge Brooks on Tuesday, and of course he has been charged. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, as far as, uh, whoops, there we go. This, uh, this, this, uh, this murderous man here, oh, um, that's, uh, that's a kind of a wrap on, well, that's his rap sheet right there, ladies and gentlemen. What else could I say other than that? Again, a heinous crime, uh, as we like to say here at the C Report, may justice be served. And, uh, even though justice may be slow sometime, may it be swift and may it be thorough as far as that goes. All right. Uh, real quick. Thank you. Uh, Tay, two in the pink. What's up, bro? Two in the pinks, uh, gift in the shades. What's up, C? You have not been around much lately yet. Yeah, well, I have uh, been ill and I am back. So, uh, well, well, it's good to be back. And uh, thank you also uh, for the um, for the uh, shades again, sir. Keeping it cool as always. Skeeter Burke, good to see you, sweetie. And uh, Skeeter Burke gives him the cookie. I can always count on no spin news for Mister C. <laughs> I do my best. I do my best. I do my best. I get I get a little speculative sometimes. It's a you heard me at the beginning of the show talking about uh, this whole Kyle Rittenhouse he she thing. But anyways. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to get into that guys. So, all right. Ah, oh, it's great to see so many of you guys in the audience today. Seize the day 9-11. Good to see you, sir. And, uh, yes. Uh, oh, Skeeterbrook puts, I heard, uh, Brooks was out on a thousand dollar bill from running over his girlfriend. Yeah. That was a report that came out about him as well. Um, and, uh, alleged, yeah. Running over his girlfriend, but, uh, but you know that the thousand dollar bond, a uh, bail was also for this in incident. Um, I should have pulled that one for you guys, but they, they, of course they upped that, that bought a bail. Uh, so it's like $5 million, I think now, but, uh, all right, let's take a look at the next statement from our president, Mr. President, Donald Trump, Mr. President, Donald Trump. Okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, this is from November 23rd. It says, uh, saving America starts with saving the GOP from rhino sellouts and known losers. My great Trump endorsed uh, candidate in Ohio, Max Miller, is doing both. After I endorsed Max, his rhino opponent, Anthony Gonzalez, was forced into early retirement. Uh, a big win for the GOP. Now, with Ohio's new congressional lines, Max will be running in the 13th district where he will help lead the path back to a strong GOP minority, a majority, Max will be a powerful voice for the America first and will fight to reign in the communist Democrats radical agenda. Max has my complete and total endorsement. 
So it uh, looks like here that uh, President Trump is endorsing Max Miller for a second time. So I guess you could say that uh, President Trump is doubling down on his endorsement of one Max Miller. I wonder if his full name is Maximus, right? Or Maximilian. I don't know. Anyways, because I want to be like Maximilian Miller. <laughs> you get Maximilian Miller and, Mil uh, and Marionette Miller Meeks. Oh, man, that is a mouthful right there. It's a good thing one's in Ohio and one's in Iowa, right? <laughs> But anyway, so of course, uh, without fail, uh, when you have a figure like Max Miller, who is, uh, I mean, he's he's worked the campaign trail before, don't get me wrong, uh, but definitely new, I would say a freshman to uh, actual representation in the hallowed halls of Congress, uh, you have a lot of pushback. You guys might remember we shared a story about Max Miller and uh, his then, well, his former girlfriend, uh, she was a press secretary, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, let me see if I can get her up here for you. Stephanie Grisham. Okay. So uh, Stephanie Grisham, you guys might remember we shared a story about uh, Max Miller and Stephanie Grisham, where she was basically suing him because, or uh, taking him to court, has uh, police, uh, police records against him for being an abusive boyfriend. Uh, well, you know, President Trump, in spite of these stories, is still doubling down on Max Miller. So he has a lot of faith in this man. Okay, uh, but it's interesting, though, because, of course, you're going to get articles like this from the Daily Mail. That they're going to, of course, they're going to bring that point up again. Okay, uh, but it, it, it must, it must, there must be something to it here, guys. Like the story about, you know, him beating her and choking her and all this stuff uh, wasn't enough to derail his win in Ohio. Okay. And yeah, I'm sure, you know, uh, that, uh, Anthony Gonzalez stepping out of the picture helped in ways as well. But, um, uh, now they're using the dog, ladies and gentlemen, to pull at the heartstrings of doe eyed Americans everywhere, uh, who, uh, just don't relate or don't think it's important enough. Like, so this story, they're actually using the dog. Okay. <laughs> So I thought it was actually worth kind of sharing with you guys. Uh, it says uh, Trump, look at all of these things here. Get away, get off of my screen, okay? Uh, for those of you in the podcast, I'm currently yelling at an advertisement with Paris Hilton. Okay, so yeah, you got to catch it live if you want to know what I'm, what I'm talking to. <laughs> go away, Paris. Okay, all right. So uh, let's go ahead and expand it. And it's coming back. Jeez. Trump doubles down. Okay, let's just let's just get into the article here. Uh, it says uh, former President Donald Trump reaffirmed his total endorsement for former White House aide Max Miller, who went through a nasty breakup with former White House press secretary Stephanie Grisham amid the possibility Miller could gain a new Republican opponent. Trump was typically upbeat uh, about his former aide's chances, writing in a message from his pack that saving America starts with saving GOP from rhinos, sellouts, and known losers. Yes, yes, yes. So let's get down to this. Uh, we'll, we'll get past the endorsement stuff. We'll get past the Gonzalez stuff. Um, okay, so here, uh, let's talk about the dog. Okay, <laughs> so there is, there is Max Miller and Stephanie Grisham back when they were a happy couple, right? Okay, yeah, so... <laughs> Oh, some good stuff. There's a guy who, uh, Shay Hawkins, a former aide for Tim Scott, South Carolina. He might run for the seat in Ohio. Now there's the dog. Okay. <laughs> the 
<laughs> so you got a French pit bull here and she's, she's got her soy boy mouth on, right? Again, if you're listening to the podcast, check us out live or check out the replay so you can see what we're making fun of. Yeah, Stephanie Grisham and her soy boy mouth. That dog is a cutie, okay? I got to say, if I were a doe-eyed American with a, uh, you know, a dull brain, I might fall for the story, okay? <laughs> okay, Miller went through, oh, let's just look at the dog. <laughs> Miller went through a difficult breakup with Grisham, who in addition to serving as White House Press Secretary for Trump, served as spokeswoman and later Chief of Staff for First Lady Melania Trump, you guys might remember Melania Trump said she did a terrible job and really dogged on her, uh, no pun intended. But anyways, okay, back to the puppy. Okay, so uh, she described an angry breakup with Miller. Miller filed a defamation suit against her after she accused him of abuse in an op-ed and in a CNN interview while promoting her book. Now that's interesting, guys, because... The entire reason why I even shared that story with you all about uh, Max Miller and the Stephanie Grisham person uh, was because we actually we actually read the opinion piece. We looked at the CNN interview. I'm going to put it back on the dog. Um, okay, uh, and that's why I shared the story with you guys. Now that was probably a month and a half ago or so. Nowhere did anyone report that Max Miller filed a defamation lawsuit against her. Do you see how that works with the mainstream, mainstream, fake news, legacy media? No one reported that Max Miller was actually fighting that as defamation. All we heard was her wow-wow story about him choking her. And let's not even talk about if that had something to do with bedtime activity, right? Now we get a story about her dog. And they're showing us pictures of the dog. This is to create leverage of opinion, in my opinion, because this case is clearly going to go nowhere. Um, let's see here. Miller's name was on record. Oh, let me expand that bit before we uh, get too far into it. Let's get some of those side stories out of the way, right? Uh, Miller's name was on the records and paperwork that he that we had because I had always been holding the dog when those things were being filled out. She wrote, keeping the dog he bought me for my birthday was the final insult Grisham told Zanger. So now she wants the dog, Okay. Who does that? And um, I don't know. I'm kind of starting to think, who cares, Stephanie Grisham? Um, I mean, it's a cute dog. I get it. Uh, but again, this is probably just a woman scorned. <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. All right, guys, I won't belabor this point anymore. <laughs> It's like uh, we're talking about Max Miller and we're talking about President Trump's endorsement of him here. OK, and this is just some interesting stories to go along with it. All right, guys, uh, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's take another look um, at what we got going on here. Uh, next statement from President Trump. <laughs> You guys are like, God, he's talking about Stephanie Miller and her doggy over here. That's not important. All right. Next statement, President Trump comes from yesterday, the 23rd. Uh, for decades, our country's very important strategic oil reserves were low or virtually empty and that no president wanted to pay the price of filling them up. I filled them up three years ago, right to the top, when oil prices were very low. Those reserves are meant to be used for serious emergencies like war and nothing else. 
Now I understand that Joe Biden will be announcing an attack on the newly brimming strategic oil reserves so that he could get the close to record setting high oil prices artificially lowered. We were uh, energy we were energy independent one year ago. Now we are at the mercy of OPEC. Gasoline is selling for $7 in parts of California, uh, going up all over the country, and they are asking for oil from our strategic reserves. Is this any way to run a country? Good question. And in fact, uh, as this is uh, Thanksgiving Eve, ladies and gentlemen, that is the number one question that seems to be on everyone's mind. In fact, you know, the ridiculous rates of inflation and uh, the ridiculous increases in gasoline prices is really a good selling point on uh, on how poorly of a job that illegitimate Joe has been doing as the illegitimate president of this country. Uh, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure all of you all would agree on that fact and point. But President Trump brings a good point up here. Uh, the strategic oil reserves, otherwise also known as the strategic petroleum reserves, um, is something that, as he stated, had not been filled for quite some time. Okay, he filled them themselves, um, and and so now because um, the price of gas has gone up so high, and it's only expected to rise higher, uh, we see that this is a bit of strategy coming out of the fake White House. They're like, how can we keep Americans from uh, pushing our poll numbers any further down than they are? So for all of the uh, dull-minded Americans out there who just choose to believe what they hear off the spin of the cuff, they hear someone like Joe Biden saying, well, we're going to tap into our strategic oil reserves. Uh, this way we can lower gas prices. That's what they're there for. Clearly, that is not what they are there for. But this is part of a bigger overreaching plan. An article from the Epoch Times talks about the White House um, saying that it's going to release 50 million barrels of crude oil from its strategic petroleum reserve. Uh, and that the decision is part of a coordinated effort. It's a part of a coordinated effort, guys. This is not just the United States of America that's doing this, okay? It is a coordinated effort that includes China, Japan, and other energy-consuming nations to combat a rapid rise in energy prices. United States gasoline prices are currently near a seven-year high. Now, the statement from the White House says the president stands ready to take additional action if needed and is prepared to use his full authorities working in coordination with the rest of the world to maintain adequate supply as we exit the pandemic, is what the White House statement says. Now, like I said, China and Japan are included in this strategic move, this coordinated move, but it also includes India, South Korea, and the United Kingdom. And apparently, this is the first of its kind in history. Now, as of November 19th, the United States Strategic Petroleum Reserve held 604.5 million barrels, according to the Department of Energy. The current release represents about 8.2% of the total United States SPR. 
Uh, and again, this is not the first time that it has happened in the United States of America. A quick recap our brief history on any time a president has tapped into the Strategic Petroleum Reserves finds that in 1991, uh, President uh, Daddy Pedophile Bush himself, George Herbert Walker Bush, released 17 million barrels during the first Gulf War. Okay, so that goes again back to President Trump's point about these reserves being for times of war or for times of extreme emergency, right? Uh, you know, with uh, we already have this entire uh, uh, supply chain thing going on, right? And we already have all of the United States efforts for creating pipelines being shut down while, uh, you know, international uh, international uh, country like Russia are allowed to have their pipelines built. We have an example from the Gulf War in 2005. Uh, Daddy Bush's son, uh, good old George W. Bush, of course, that's tongue-in-cheek, good old, good old boy, rhino, hello, okay. Um, he released 11 million barrels of oil following uh, Hurricane Katrina. And in 2011, uh, Barack Obama, good old Barry Sotero, he released 30 million barrels of oil to counter production disruptions in Libya. And that's kind of interesting, too. I think that's actually kind of worth a dig, right, to see why uh, we had uh, these um, uh, barrel uh, disruptions, uh, production disruptions in Libya, and uh, what that has to do with uh, Barry Sotero and then the events that happened in 2012, right? Um, uh, why, why would Gaddafi uh, not be producing oil uh, for OPEC to give to the United States of America? Mm, I don't know. Could it be it had something to do with him trying to build up northern Africa? I couldn't tell you, but I think that is worth a dig. But I think here uh, the question that uh, most people are really uh, wondering about, I think the thing that people are really kind of watching here is will it help consumers? Will this off-the-cuff strategic move by the Biden junta actually uh, put some relief in the wallets of Americans who are traveling this holiday season, uh, traveling today, possibly traveling for Christmas, possibly traveling for the next couple of weeks, you know, uh, as most people do take the holiday season off, uh, whether that be a week or two or at the at the head of Christmas or at the head of Thanksgiving, it's going to be about that, you know, so that's what the question here is, you know. And uh, of course, we have, like I said, the dull, the dull-minded Americans out there who will see this as, yeah, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna, we're gonna have cheaper gas prices. But is that really the case? Found an article here. This one also coming to you guys from the Epoch Times that talks about that. So I thought I would share it with you all. Let's go ahead and get that on the screen, and we will, of course, expand that for your viewing ease. Biden tapping oil reserves may trigger OPEC war, fail to help consumers. That's what strategists are saying. This uh, article came to us on November 24th. President Select Joe Biden announced on Tuesday that he will be releasing 50 million barrels from the nation's strategic petroleum reserves as part of a coordination uh, with other advanced economies, including China, the United Kingdom, and India. Uh, let's go ahead and skip down a little bit to, ah, uh, here we go. Here's what we want to see. So it says, uh, although Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm could not provide the amount of oil Americans consume each day during a Tuesday White House press briefing, 
Energy Administration, Energy Information Administration, EIA data shows that consumers use between 18 and 20 million barrels a day. Okay, 18 and 20 million barrels per day, ladies and gentlemen. And illegitimate Joe wants to release what? 50 million barrels? <laughs> We're eating up to 20 million barrels per day, and somehow this man seems to think that a mere 50 million barrels is going to help reduce the price, okay? That's not all, ladies and gentlemen. Check this out, okay? Check this out. Uh, however, uh, it picks up right here. However, with 50 million barrels being pumped into the markets... 18 million barrels of which are going to China and India. Okay, <laughs> what? So he's going to release 15 million barrels. He's going to send 18 of those to China and India. 18 million barrels to China and India. Now, I thought that they were going to open up their own strategic oil reserves. Apparently, Apparently, uh, they're getting some of our strategic oil reserves. It's not even staying in America, guys. <laughs> like, this guy, uh, uh, dull minded Americans, wake up, okay? <laughs> the administration's amount might only be enough for several days' worth of consumption. So, like, what, two and a half days, a day and a half? America will have eaten up all of that. All of that will be gone. That's ridiculous. Um, economists further purport that this will compound the problems weighing on the energy sector by releasing oil from the strategic petroleum reserves. The Biden administration could artificially lower prices. This would lead to a rise in demand and tightening inventories. Should prices slump, the downward trend would discourage greater crude exploration and output, contributing to deficits in global energy markets. Moreover, since these strategic reserves need to be replenished, industry observers aver that there will be an uptick in demand at a later period, referring to the policy, policy as a swap. Is relief coming to consumers? Granholm described the president's solution as a bridge to lower prices, conceding that there is not going to be some dramatic difference. In December, the price will be about $3.19 per gallon. And then in January, it's going to go down. So this is not going to hit consumer pockets anytime this holiday season. You're paying extra for your turkey. You're paying extra for your stuffing. You're paying extra for your, uh, for your pumpkin pie, okay? You're paying extra to go ahead and travel up to, uh, you know, your aunt or your grandma or your your daughter's or your son's place to go have family time for the holidays. And you're not going to see any relief. I, it kind of makes you wonder if there's going to be a whole bunch of coal in the stockings of, uh, of uh, red-blooded good Americans out there. Because we all know... Uh, we all know for all of the hoodlums, thugs, and uh, and criminals uh, on the East and West Coast and, you know, up in uh, Chicago, they're getting Louis Vuitton, right? They're getting, they're getting their, their Dior. They're getting all that stuff that they've been raiding. They're getting their, uh, their 75-inch screen TVs that they walk out of the stores with and put into the back of their cars with no fight and with no accountability. 
because I'm sure all of you guys have seen all of those reports and videos of stores being robbed, broad daylight, just people walking in and walking out with all of that product. Uh, so we know those guys are going to have a good Christmas, right? We know they're going to have a good Christmas. Uh, but for everyone that makes a decent and honest living and has an honest life, unfortunately, it seems like uh, we might be seeing coal this year if we even have a Christmas, uh, which is absolutely a tragedy um, beyond any compare. Sean Joe, good evening, sir. Thank you for gifting the cookie. Says, glad to see you back. Was getting worried, Mr. C. I am back. Thank you. Uh, a good old Aurelius Locke said, Mr. C, you come back when you're 110%. Well, I'm at uh, probably about 90%. <laughs> I'm 89.5, but we're back, guys. Couldn't take another day off. Got to, got to come back. Got to come back and do this thing. But, uh, well, there you have it. There's a little bit on the strategic oil reserves uh, and that statement from President Trump. Uh, so we can see here clearly, guys, this is not going to help consumers. Uh, it's not going to do anything. 319, uh, 319 a gallon is what they're estimating. We know it's much higher depending on what part of the country that you're in. Uh, I see here in Texas, we are already over $3 a gallon. I think it was like $3 a nickel, you know, which honestly, guys, is the highest I have ever seen in my life here. Um, it, it, it did spike up to like four something during one of the hurricanes last year or the year before. But uh, those those uh, those gas stations, they got into trouble for price gouging and uh, they immediately went back down to the appropriate prices. Uh, but three dollars and five cents legit or higher here in Texas in my neck of the woods is unheard of, guys. And uh, for those of you watching uh, this broadcast or listening to this broadcast in other portions of the country who probably think, God, what are you complaining about? We're paying five dollars. We're paying six dollars. I feel your pain. Uh, and I'm uh, sorry that we have to go through this, guys. But uh, you know what they say. Sometimes it's got to get ugly before it gets pretty. And that's kind of the situation that we're seeing ourselves in right now. You guys know what we can do about it. We got to toe the line and we got to stay on it. So that this way we can get our country right. And uh, we can bring our republic back as it should be. All right, let's get on to another statement from President Trump. This one's a fun one. <laughs> November 23rd again, we got President Trump. Whatever happened to... Uh, the rigged and stolen Arizona presidential election that is being investigated. Or maybe the words should pro properly be looked at by Attorney General Mark Burnovich. When will the legislature vote to decertify? People are very upset in Arizona that it is all taking so long especially when the findings of the state Senate's forensic audit were so conclusive, not even including the recent revelation of 35,000 fictitious votes in Pima County and precincts with over 100% turnout. How do you like that one? The people of Arizona are anxiously awaiting the decision of the Attorney General. They know what really went on during the election. Oh, goodness, guys. For as much as you know that we have been following election integrity here at uh, the C-Report, particularly these uh, forensic audits that have been happening, this is an outright 
outrage and a disgrace, okay, with as much evidence that was presented to the Attorney General of the state of Arizona. You don't think that it would take too much in order for them to get something going on in this regard. I mean, we have them on video, guys, erasing the data from the election management system. Okay, we have them on video. We have timestamps. We have dates. We have names. We have faces. And yet this man still has not even subpoenaed those individuals. Instead, he's dilly-dallied with some other things. But one might wonder... What exactly is A.G. Brnovich up to if he's not taking care of election integrity in his home state while he's trying to run for a Senate seat position? Brnovich, this ain't going to be good for your campaign, uh, your campaign uh, a bid, sir. Uh, let's take a look at his. Uh, let's take a look at one of his tweeters. Okay, he's got two twitters. What is Brnovich up to, guys? That he's uh, just so not focused. On what's going on now? This is his uh his attorney general Twitter. Okay, uh yeah yeah yeah. So what what has he got going on here? We must defend the laws of our state, <laughs> uh, states, and oppose attempts by global corporations to engage in economic warfare against the state of Israel. A noble cause, you know, I'm sure. Uh, so he's he's fighting against Ben and Jerry's. That's something that he's, uh, it seems more important, you know, I'm, I'm sure it might help his election bid, okay, uh, to be, hey, oh, this is, a <laughs> that was an old story, okay, his feed updated two hours ago, oh, it looks like uh, Brnovich is going to be on Hannity tonight, okay, so tonight, if you're not doing anything else the night before Thanksgiving, I'll be joining Pete Hegsbeth on Hannity to talk about how attorneys general are the first and last line of defense against the Biden administration's radical policies. Do you think that Hannity's man, Pete Hegseth, might actually ask him something about election integrity, the uh, forensic audit in Arizona? I don't know. Something tells me that's probably not going to happen. I'm probably going to have to go back and watch that. Uh, he'll be joining Jillian H. Turner to discuss the looting taking place in San Francisco Bay Area and how our office is taking action to protect the property rights of Arizonans. Okay, so uh, more important than election integrity, more important than a full-on fraud of an election in 2020. Again, he's taking on Ben and Jerry's. That's a bit more important than uh, election integrity. A bit more important than our freedom. Of course, you have the CV, Jesse Nueva, CV19 stuff that he's fighting up against. Uh Let's see. Our office announced uh, a settlement with e-cigarette maker Jewel Labs that will require the company to pay $14.5 million and make significant changes to its corporate practices, ensuring Jewel products are not marketed or sold to youth in Arizona. Far more important than our freedom. And uh, I guess I guess no one ever got the word to Brnovich that uh, our vote equals our freedom. Our vote is not just our voice. Our vote is literally our freedom. It is a direct representation of freedom. Brnovich doesn't get it, I guess. This is uh this is his this is his personal. <laughs> he's got two of them, I told you. This is his personal tweeter. This is the one that he's using to run for a uh, Senate, okay? 
uh, Senate seats. Let's let's uh, look at this picture here. Yeah, for United States Senate, Brnovich thinks he's going to win it if he doesn't handle election fraud in Arizona. I don't know where the disconnect with this man is, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know where it is. Again, he seems to care about uh, Ben and Jerry's on his main page here. So, uh, yeah. Not much. It doesn't look good for Brnovich. <laughs> Drug overdose deaths are skyrocketing because of Biden's failed border policies. Law enforcement agrees it's never been this bad. Cartels have seized control of our border, smuggling record amounts of fentanyl, and it's killing Americans. This has to stop. Like, let's just take a quick stroll down his page. Does he even mention anything about election integrity, a border crisis? I mean, anything. Give me, give me a bone here, Mark Bernovich. Throw us a bone that you are actually looking at election integrity, election fraud. Nope, drugs. Oh, here's his famous hunting picture, of course. Hunting in the morning, Fox. Uh, you know, people defended him. They're like, this was taken on a Sunday. And uh, Sunday is his day off. Yeah, you know, well, fighting for freedom in America never has a day off, Mr. Brnovich and all of you detractors out there. But yeah. Now, honestly, guys, if you were to look at his comment section, for those of you who may be interested. No, I, don't, I, already, I already said something to this man. <laughs> I already commented to this man. So... <laughs> Now the audit. I'm losing hope with you. Uh-huh. Word of the day is throttle bottom, an inept bumbling and possibly embarrassing holder of public office. <laughs> this is one of the most embarrassing tweets ever. Indictments? Yep. Uh, where'd you pose that pick for? Uh, yeah. Uh, no other country's allowed to go hunting, etc. Only in America, blah, 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 blah. Okay, yeah. I was pretty sure there'd be... Is this him? Oh my God, that's Brnovich, guys. He kind of looks like a young and pudgy uh, Steve Bannon. Again, if you're listening to the podcast, you gotta go. <laughs> you gotta go watch us live sometimes. So you can see what I'm talking about. Uh, your main thing, the your main thing have to do is to investigate the crimes of your country, foundation, and democracy. Arizona audit, uh, forensic audit. How are the indictments coming? Um, yeah, people. I remember reading a lot more stuff about the indictments in this uh, the first time around. Maybe it was on his other page, but uh, I follow this Yahoo so I can figure out what the heck he's doing. You know, I call him the sleeping bear. Apparently, he's still asleep. He's still hibernating, this Brnovich man. That's some terrible stuff there. What do I got over here? Okay, so let's talk. Let's let's go into the next thing with Brnovich before we move on from this poor sap. This not even poor sap, this this loath loathsome sap <laughs> oh my goodness terribleness uh yeah coward rhino says ohio kimmy i would have to agree with you hey ippy me Ange, how you doing uh yeah you, you definitely come back for the replay girl no worries shepherding shepherd good to see you sir and whiskey blue good to see you as well hey it's good to see some of you guys. hey drunk pinata what's up Drunk Pinata says literally everything the media accused Trump of doing without evidence Biden is doing in the open. Truer words were never said by Mr. Drunk Pinata. That is totally true. Uh, they are masters of projection. Those ones are, and the media, masters of spin and propaganda. You know, there was an article that came out recently 
about uh, about um, the whole propaganda issue with the media. Of course, we reported that to you guys a long time ago, back in 2012, President uh, uh, Barry Sotero, right, killing the Frank, uh, was the Frank Muntz Act. Yeah, I know I'm saying that right. I know I'm saying that wrong. It's the I know it's the, the months. <laughs> M-U-N-T-Z is in there. Yeah, but that was the whole propaganda bill that they had going on. Uh, totally killed it back in 2012 with the uh, NDAA of 2012. That's where it was included in. So where are we? Where do we stand in regards to uh, what's going on in, in Arizona with the forensic audit and with Brnovich and who's this goofy man on the screen next to him? You guys probably uh, remember him as being one Adrian Fontes, uh, who was the former Maricopa County recorder and who was also the Maricopa County recorder during the 2020 election. Now, on October 27th, Senate President Karen Fan assured us that uh, the state AG office was opening a formal investigation. Uh, President Trump likes to say he's looking at it, not investigating it. And uh, I would agree with the president in that regards. Um, but we did have um, Adrian Fontes pictured on the screen here, uh, who was actually interrogated by the AG office. Um, Adrian Fontes, again, uh, interrogated is a way to put it, I guess you could say. Interrogated is a way to put it. Uh, now, there was actually leaked audio from this conversation with A.G. Fontes and a member of Mark Brnovich's attorney general office. Okay, so Brnovich himself didn't do it. You know, I'm sure it's it's fine. It's whatever. But we did have someone from his office who um, actually did question Adrian Fontes about, well, what exactly did they talk about? Apparently, it was about an hour long. And somehow, somehow, somewhere, some way, MSNBC managed to get their hands on the audio of that interrogation, okay? Part of an ongoing investigation. Isn't it funny how this seems to happen all the time? Isn't it funny how people on the left, people aligned with the left, they, they are usually Democrats, right? Somehow managed to leak information in ongoing investigations to the media. And you would think that any member of the media would be, I mean, everyone wants to get a scoop. I don't, I don't care to get scoops. That's not what I'm here for. I'm not here to scoop things myself, but like people who are really in that for the reporting sake of it and breaking news and breaking headlines, they want to get their scoop. Okay. But you would think there would be some kind of ethical standard when it goes into uh, ongoing investigations. You Because if you're a person who's a journalist who really wants the truth, right? You're going to honor the fact that if you release or leak any type of information from an ongoing investigation, you could be obstructing truth by creating spin and propaganda. Someone on the left realized this a while ago, and then someone named Nancy Pelosi bragged about it being called the wrap-up smear campaign, right? Where you get out there, you shoot your shot. And then uh, you kind of let the dust settle and uh, let dull-minded Americans' minds land where it may be in regards to the information that they are spinning and propagandizing. So we have this leaked audio from the interrogation or the investigation or the questioning 
of former Maricopa County recorder Adrian Pontes, who is corrupt by all means, guys. This is this is the man who kind of helped them uh, uh, feel their way out on mail-in ballots and a whole bunch of other issues that not only did the Republicans of the Arizona State uh, uh, Congressional and Senatorial Body recognize, the Democrats did also. And then also members of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors and also the election uh, committees also recognized that Adrian Fontes was doing things that were not good and were untowards in regards to how elections were being run in their county and in their state. Okay, so uh, we have that uh, audio, at least what they released of it on MSDNC. So we'll play that for you guys real quick. Let me just get you set up for good sound here. Whoops, wrong button. There we go. That's what I'm looking for. Share screen. And all right. So let's get this going, and guys. Also, you guys can members of the Maricopa now, like County I said, Board of Supervisors. They say this was also the election interrogation uh, committees. Also they say this was Adrian Fontes was doing investigation. Not, it don't sound like that, guys. It does not sound like that. How but, uh, I'll let you guys judge it for yourselves. In their state. We got about, okay. I don't know, three so, or four minutes. Uh, we of have audio. that so uh, audio at least rolling. They released a bit on MSDNC. So we'll play that for you guys real quick. Let me just get you set up for good sound here. Whoops, wrong button. There we go. That's what I'm looking for. Share screen. And... That's just the paper ballots, correct? Well, that's the only kind of Okay. Well, I mean, people voting at machines later on. I don't know what you mean by that. If I walked into a ballot place, uh, do they do electronic voting at all? No. Okay, so everything's a paper ballot. Yes. Okay. I'm a little confused. Well, I'm a little surprised. Well, because it. it like, I'm, I'm literally a little bit surprised or disappointed at the nature of that question, right? Like, you don't know that in Arizona, every ballot, every vote is on a paper ballot. There's no such thing as a voting machine in Arizona. Okay. So the fact that you're using that term is really disturbing. Okay, so my understanding is at some point, either shortly before the election or shortly after, some of the information that, was, that came in through ballots, and I don't know if it's scanning or how they calculate, so you know how you know how much gets into that circle, right? No. Okay, well that it would be helpful for you to have that background report. So <laughs> Okay. So not a whole not a whole lot of confidence, I think, could be put into what we're hearing here from uh this um investigator whoops let me get these guys off the screen go away okay yeah i would say not a whole lot of confidence can be put into this guy uh, these guys came off sounding kind of buddy buddy uh kind of joking didn't didn't seem to take it seriously at all in my opinion uh admitting that he doesn't know now i've, I've read different articles that were kind of saying something to the effect of well you know they can't really let you know 
what they know about it. But Adrian Fontes seemed to be, he seemed to be like uh, taking over that conversation, in my opinion. Now, of course, uh, Adrian Fontes told AZ Central, which is one of the lefty, uh, you know, uh, uh, one of the lefty um, uh, news organizations over there in Arizona, that there, he was not implicated in any kind of fraud at all. So this is kind of where we stand with what's going on in Arizona, guys. This is this is pretty much where we stand. This is where it ends at this point in time. Uh, you have President Trump who just released that statement yesterday, of course, uh, again, asking what is going on in Arizona? You know, where is Mark Brnovich? Why is uh, nothing being said in regards to uh, the forensic audit, all of the uh, information that has been released, you know? And then, of course, you have uh, you have good old um, senators such as Wendy Rogers, uh, who is continuing to pound the war drum. Uh, in regards to uh, justice being served, in regards to perp walks, you know, um, and I, for one, actually, I, I actually enjoy that she is doing this. I'm actually quite proud for the state of Arizona that they have someone who is fighting and being so vocal. Uh, what Could you say it's to the point of being obnoxiously vocal? Maybe, but I don't even think it's enough. In fact, I think we need more people to sound like her. Because how often have we had any type of uh, elected uh, representative or official who is actually saying the things that she is saying, who's actually going as far as to demand that we see perp walks, to demand that we see people being held accountable uh, for what has happened in the state of Arizona, for what we have found in those elections? And now we see on the eve of all of this election fraud from Georgia to Wisconsin to Michigan to Pennsylvania. And we see some of these other states are on like Wisconsin, for example, you know, in regards to uh, in regards to the um, election committee over there where the sheriff has charged five of the six officials with actual election fraud. We see that uh, they're they're starting to be held accountable and uh, calls for decertification are growing beyond the state of Arizona. But uh, for a quick recap or a quick reminder on the election fraud that happened, and I know that these points may somewhat uh, may be somewhat belabored uh, to a lot of us who have been following this information, um, I wanted to share this from Wendy Rogers' website. And uh, I, I would I would recommend that we take note out there abroad, and uh, I will clip this uh, I will clip this portion out for later for anyone who would care to share it, uh, whether that be on social media streams or wherever you know send it to your friends or whatever. But a, a, a very concise and very crystallized rendition of what was found in Arizona. I want to share it with you guys tonight. And then we'll move off this topic for the evening. Now, this actually comes from an unknown author. The print is so small, you guys can't even see it. So uh, you're gonna have to trust me what I'm reading. <laughs> you're gonna have to trust what I'm reading. Uh, but it says um, the Arizona Senate chose cyber ninjas. I'm gonna go ahead and shrink that because you can't read it anyways. The Arizona Senate chose cyber ninjas, a Florida company owned by Doug Logan to conduct a complete forensic audit of the Maricopa County 2020 election. This audit consisted of counting all 2.1 million ballots cast in Maricopa County, the fourth largest county in all of the United States, 
forensically investigating the ballots themselves in addition to investigating the voting machines used in the election. The mainstream media's sensational headlines about how Arizona's forensic audit of Maricopa County found 360 more votes for Biden than Trump has captured headlines, and the story ends there for almost every article you read. What they fail to tell you is the real meat of the findings. Over 57,000 fraudulent ballots. There were 57,734 potentially fraudulent ballots cast in Maricopa County for the 2020 general election. Remember, the vote difference in the 2020 election between Biden and Trump in Arizona was only 10,457 votes. They provide a link here to the fifth page of the 96-page Volume 3, a forensic audit report that was given on September 24, 2021, with the breakdown of the potentially fraudulent votes. Uh, so for those of you listening or those of you who would like to check that out, you'd have to go to windyrogers.org. And they have this, uh, this um, article here with uh, live links to all of this information. Um, now, it says here. Uh, the MCTEC deleted all of the election files. That's the uh, Maricopa County um, Election Committee. It says here, fortunately, in Arizona, in the Arizona Senate audit, a company by the name of Cipher was contracted to investigate the hardware machine, the hardware machines, tabulators, etc., used in the election. Cypher found and showed that the Maricopa County Recorder's Office actually deleted the entire 2020 general election results from their system the day before an audit and when the results were reinstalled on the system, approximately 269,000 ballot images were now corrupt and unreadable, in addition to approximately 30,000 missing ballots. There is a link provided to a 56-second video clip from the Senate hearing held on September 24th, 2021. In addition, patriots who had been recording and watching the publicly accessible cameras within the inside of this building were able to match time and date stamps of videos in, uh, with the time and date stamps of the deletion Cypher found and actually have video that has positively identified three individuals on a computer at that moment in the facility who could have deleted the election results. This information has been passed to the Attorney General of Arizona, Mark Brnovich, for investigation and prosecution. This is a crime and they must be held accountable. And they have a link to an 89-second video clip from the Senate hearing again on September 24, 2021. Election machines access the internet. In the September 24th hearing, Cypher revealed and showed that not only can these ballot machines access the internet, but in Maricopa County, they did access the internet. In the hearing, Cypher provided the time and date stamps to prove it, as well as the IP addresses of the computers they connected to. Again, there are links here to the video clips from the Senate hearing. Uh, the canvassing revealed up to 173,000 missing ballots in Maricopa County. During the canvass, individuals were interviewed at their residence that were registered to vote in Maricopa County, but whom the county did not record a vote. 
Of those interviewed, 34.23% of these people said they actually had they had actually voted in the 2020 election. 34.23% of these residents had voted, but no vote was ever registered or recorded for them. Their vote was missing and not accounted in the election. When multiplying 34.23% by the number of registered voters in Maricopa County that also show not to have voted, 505,709 people, there is a potential 173,000 missing votes in Maricopa County alone. Arizona has 14 counties. And they have a link here to the full 11-page election 2020 grassroots canvas report. Canvassing revealed over 96,000 ghost votes in Arizona. In addition, the canvas, vote, uh, the canvas found that across the state of Arizona, an estimated 96,389 mail-in votes were ghost votes. These are votes that were cast under the names of registered voters who were either unknown to the residents of the re registered address or who were verified as having moved away before October 2020. They have a link to that page in the 11-page Election 2020 Grassroots Canvas Report. Uh, State of Arizona case uh, study could not identify 58% of voters as real humans. Okay. Uh, the state of Arizona from July 3rd to September 4th, 2021, researched the voter identity of six, uh, 673,560 vote registered voters, uh, Arizona voters, and found that they could not identify 58% or 393,017 as being real human beings. The state found these people could not be identified through either an Arizona MVD driver's license search, nor could they be identified or found under a federal search within the last four numbers of their social security number, name, and date of birth. And they have a link to the Jim Hoft article on September 19, 2021, 58% no match found in 673,000 voter IDs. Finally, Democrats themselves testified, maybe we should know this way, Democrats themselves, so you guys can't see it anyways, Democrats themselves testified that voting machines are not secure. Um, watch Democrat Senators Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, Ron Wyden, and others testify how easily the voting machines can be hacked and how they can be used to alter the outcome of an election. And they have links to a 125-second video clip montage of Democrats protesting voting machine and election fraud and links to 136-second video clip where Democrats and experts share election security concerns. All right, guys. So that is uh, pretty much that in that regard, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and, uh, well... We can leave it there. I mean, it's an outrage. It's an it's an outrage that this has occurred. It's an outrage, in my opinion, that Brnovich has taken this long to act. Uh, I think the last email I got from Senator Rogers put us at like 56 days. It's probably been like, I don't know, 60 days now, 58 days, 59 days since uh, Brnovich said he would act on this. Uh, we don't know what the scope of his investigation includes at this point, guys, uh, because after all, uh, we don't got a whole lot of information coming out of the AG office in Arizona at this time. But uh, 
as things develop, ladies and gentlemen, we will present that to you here at the Sea Report. All right, guys, that's going to bring us to our last story for tonight. Oh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk Ghislaine, Ghislaine, Ghislaine Maxwell, ladies and gentlemen. Ghislaine, 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 right? Give me the song out her name or what? Ghislaine Maxwell, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> now that we have the uh, trial of the year out of the way <laughs> uh, and, and no longer serving to uh, uh, fill our news feeds and our TV screens, uh, we have another trial of interest that will steadily be getting underway. We'll see how this goes, of course. We'll see how this goes. Um, Ghislaine Maxwell really needs no introduction, but we'll do it either way. Ghislaine, Ghislaine Noel Marion Maxwell, a uh, British socialite known for her association with financier and convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. Her father, Robert Maxwell, uh, died uh, in 1991 under questionable circumstances off his yacht, the Ghislaine, right? Uh, when, and uh, soon thereafter, she moved to the United States and became a close associate of Epstein. Of course, ladies and gentlemen, we know she was detained in July of 2020 uh, for um, uh, suspicion, for uh, accusation, for being a close connection to Epstein. And of course, she also has her share of accusers, victims, um, who are um, uh, seeking justice in regards to her role in, as being the uh, groomer and or the madam of her former boyfriend, Jeffrey Epstein. Now, her trial is set to begin on November 29th, ladies and gentlemen. So that is a full five days from now. The trial of Ghislaine Maxwell is finally set to begin. Now, in uh, November, in the, on the 16th and 17th of this month, uh, we saw the trial begin with the um, jury selection process for her trial, again, set to begin on the 29th. Uh, what is uh, of interest here and what a lot of people are taking note is that... Um, this story will most likely not be covered by the mainstream, lamestream, fake news, legacy media, right? MSM's not going to touch this. Um, the, tr the, the trial itself will not be televised, okay? Also, there will not be audio recording of the trial. Now, these are some interesting factoids. Uh, the general public, it is open to the public and it is open to the press, which means, uh, and sketch artists, interesting enough. So um, a lot of people will be depending on those present in the trial to get details about what's going on. And then also any of the trial records that are being kept during this process will be referenced. That is about all that we will be able to get from this trial while it is live, because again, it will not be covered and it will not be televised. Now, that's a stark contrast to what we saw with the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, which was totally covered on television. You know, uh, people were able to see it. It was broadcasted live every day of the trial. So people could follow that along closely. So there's a lot of apprehension 
that's coming out of this entire notion that this trial is not going to be covered live. Okay, so of course we have to kind of ask the question, why are no cameras being allowed into the Ghislaine Maxwell trial of the century, right? This is like almost a proxy trial of Jeffrey Epstein, although we don't really want to call it that technically, because after all, her lawyers are already, or I should say the defenders, they're already, uh, they're already trying to set a precedence that uh, this trial is not fair because the court of public opinion has already convicted her which I would say is probably true, right? So we don't want to say it's uh, say so much that it is a proxy Epstein trial, although it kind of is what it is, you know? Since the man killed himself, since the man allegedly killed himself, you know, uh, we have to take Ghislaine, but Ghislaine should have been put to trial either way uh, for her involvement. And again, court of public opinion, right? I'm not a, I'm not a judge or a juror here, but uh, we all know what we know and what we've read and seen throughout uh, the past, what, decade or more in regards to Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. Now, as far as the trial not being televised, again, stark contrast to what we saw with Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, we have a First Amendment specialist at an institute called the Freedom Forum uh, by the name of Kevin Goldberg, who says that in regards to the televising of the trial, that the Judicial Conference of the United States oversees the use of cameras in civil cases in federal courts, and uh, very few allow video of court proceedings and only under certain limited circumstances. He goes on to say that each United States Court of Appeals and United States District Court can set its own rules. Um, he says, Ghislaine Maxwell is being tried on federal criminal sex trafficking charges in the United States District Court of the Southern District of New York. The Southern District of New York does not even allow the broadcast of civil trials. So apparently here in this case, in regards to where her trial is being held, and it depends on where it's being held and what the judge finds appropriate or rules on, they can decide whether or not it will be televised. In this case, the Southern District of New York has a zero tolerance policy for televising any type of proceedings, any type of trials. So in this case, that's the reason why it seems that this trial will not be televised. And we, the public, will have to rely heavily on court records as well as press and media present at the trial to get any kind of information on what is being said and what is going on there. Of course, there's a lot going on in this trial. There's already a lot of stuff that is coming out uh, in regards to what will be shared, what will not be shared, what's been authorized, what's been approved, but more importantly, who's involved. And uh, real quickly, I wanted to thank 123SKG for gifting the phone out there over at pills.net. Uh, foxhole.app. Thank you so much for your donation to the show. And Tam Goral, it's good to see you. I've missed you as well. Sol Rico, welcome into the show. And P. Thaggy, good to see you as well. Good to see you as well. But yeah, so this is going to be a closed trial. Uh, we will be heavily dependent upon, again, like I said, court records and whatever uh, press or people are present at the records. But let's talk about the prosecutors, uh, because we're we're again, we're, we're, there's a lot of information coming out here. I got uh, I got a lot of information to share before we wrap up the report on this matter, because this is moving forward on the 29th. Right. They managed to keep Ghislaine alive. OK, they managed to keep her alive. 
Uh, and uh, so, well, now we gotta we gotta see what's up. What what kind of a fighting chance does justice have in the case of Ghislaine Maxwell? In the case where so many uh, prominent, rich, wealthy, important people uh, whose names, livelihoods, and reputations and freedom is at stake. What kind of fighting chance does justice have in the case of Ghislaine Maxwell versus uh, the world? And I say the world because, I mean, these were people of the world, right? And uh, their victims knew no nationalities or nation boundaries. Uh, so, uh, so, the, so we, she has her defense. Let's look at the, some of the prosecutors in this uh, case. Now, uh, we reported probably a few months ago about one of the uh, prosecutors, a United States attorney who has a very familiar name, um, her name being Maureen Comey, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, one of the prosecutors, one of the people who will be going after, I say that with quotation marks, after Ghislaine Maxwell is none other than Maureen Comey, the daughter of James Comey. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the daughter of James Comey, the six-foot-something liar who used to run the FBI, is going to be prosecuting Ghislaine Maxwell. Interesting enough, the daughter of James Comey, Maureen Comey, who's currently on the prosecutorial, prosecutorial team of Ghislaine Maxwell, also was a prosecutor against Jeffrey Epstein. So she was one of the prosecutors in the Jeffrey Epstein case prior to his death, right? Now she's moved over to the Ghislaine Maxwell case. Justice, it doesn't look good for you, okay? It doesn't look good. There are certain names that I I always say, there are certain names you just don't trust, right? When we're talking about uh, politics and, uh, and, and the rule of law, you know, Clinton, uh, Pelosi, Bush, Cheney, you just don't trust those names. Uh, Comey, I think the family name can be added to that hierarchy, um, what else is going on with, uh, with, uh, Maureen Comey, aside from her having also been a prosecutor for Jeffrey Epstein, being the daughter of James Comey, um, we see that, um, Maureen Comey was also one of the prosecutors who apparently lost the footage of, um, um, Jeffrey Epstein's, uh, apparent suicide. Okay. Now, uh, the article that I found on this came from the Washington compost and it was behind a paywall. So I couldn't really dig into it. What I could get out of that, uh, an article that the Washington compost published on January 9th, 2020. Okay. Uh, it said that, um, the politically connected financier and registered sex offender apparently killed himself in jail, the Bureau of Prisons said on August 10th. However, the footage was lost. Then it was found and now it is gone. Okay, this is from the Washington Compost. So we might not have gotten this story involving Maureen Comey and the loss of this footage because we might have been preoccupied with the January 6th false flag riots that happened a few days before. Hmm, something about that timing, right? 
the article that I was able to see said, so goes the saga of video footage from outside the jail cell of multimillionaire sex offender Jeffrey Epstein recorded on the day he may have first tried to kill himself. Federal prosecutors in December um, said in December that they were unable to locate the video, which would have showed guards finding Epstein after his first apparent suicide attempt in July. Then just a day later, they wrote in a court filing that they had found the footage and were in the process of obtaining a copy from the Metropolitan Correctional Center in New York City where Epstein was held. Uh, did get an article here from the Herald. So let me go ahead and spruce that up for you guys so you can check it out. Okay. And uh, this says here, uh, how video from Jeffrey Epstein's first apparent suicide attempt lost. There's the old uh, pedophile himself. It says here, uh, federal prosecutors have prosecutors have claimed that surveillance video taken from outside Jeffrey Epstein's jail cell on the day of his first apparent suicide attempt has been permanently deleted. The Herald gathered that the federal prosecutors made this claim on Thursday in a court filing. Epstein, the disgraced financier who was facing federal sex trafficking charges, was found semi-conscious in his cell at the Metropolitan Correctional Center, or MCC, in New York around 1.27 a.m. on July 23rd. The prosecutor said that the video is now gone, but because MCC officials mistakenly saved footage from a different floor on the federal detention facility. According to the court papers, the MCC inadvertently preserved video from the wrong tier within the MCC, and as a result, a video from outside the defendant's cell on July 22nd to the 23rd, 2019, no longer exists. After reviewing the video, it appeared to the government that the footage contained on the preserved video was for the correct date and time, but captured a different tier than the one where the cell housing Epstein and his cellmate was located because the preserved video did not show corrections officers responding to any of the cells seen on the video. The prosecutors maintained that FBI made discovery last week while reviewing a copy of the video provided by MCC officials. Okay. So there was that from uh, the Herald. I think I said that's where that came from. Uh, let's see here. Man, shrink that down for you guys. Okay. So um, there's that. She, uh, they, they said they had it, then they lost it, then it was gone. Very convenient. Again, this is a prosecutor for, uh, for um, Ghislaine Maxwell, former prosecutor for Jeffrey Epstein, daughter of James Comey, Maureen Comey. Uh, so she's one of the prosecutors. And like I said, guys, it doesn't look good for justice in this regard, but we'll have to follow the case. Some of you guys are probably wondering who this wide-eyed bugger is here. This is another one of the prosecutors for the Glenn Maxwell case. Again, this is a this this is the head of the um, um, Southern District of New York law offices. Okay. Chief Federal Law Enforcer. This is who this guy is. His name is Damian Williams. This guy was confirmed only on in October of this year, guys. He was confirmed in October of this year. So he's a baby. He's fresh, guys. 
another interesting thing to say about this man, aside from the fact that he is the current chief federal law enforcer for the Southern District of New York and so is handling this as the lead prosecutor, is that he is a former law clerk for none other than Merrick Garland, right? When Merrick Garland was a judge, this was his law clerk. Doesn't look good for justice, guys. It doesn't look good for justice. I don't want to call it too soon, of course, but uh, we're just we're just laying out some of the figures here. Uh, the other two prosecu- uh, the other two prosecutors for the, the for the country, U.S. versus right, uh, not really a lot worth bringing up. But those two, I thought, Damian Williams and Maureen Comey, two to watch in this case. Then, of course, we have the judge. This is the judge. I'll go ahead and expand this for you. That's the judge. <laughs> this is Judge Allison Nathan. I think enough is said with that statement, guys. Let that sink in for a little bit, okay? <laughs> we'll let that sink in for a little bit. That is Judge Allison Nathan. I almost said Nathan Allison, to be quite honest with you guys, but... Uh, that is neither here nor there. So we'll go ahead and move along from that. I just thought I'd show you a picture of the judge. <laughs> what else is going on in regards to this trial, though? We have um, the siblings of Ghislaine Maxwell. They've actually made an appeal to the United Nations. Let me move along, judge. Judge. He's not letting me move along. Hold on. He must be mad. All right, let me get this. Uh, let me get this fixed real quick. So, uh, like I was saying, uh, there we go. Yeah, oh, oh, oh! It's not responding. My computer says it's okay. We can wait. Uh, but we have um, the siblings of Ghislaine Maxwell appealing to the United Nations, basically saying that the conditions are terrible where Ghislaine's being held. And uh, let me see if I can get my computer fixed. Just a moment. And uh, so basically, they need to get her out of there. Okay, where are you at? Where are you at? My computer is a freezing. Come on now. For those of you listening on the podcast, my computer is frozen. <laughs> I'm like, let it go, computer. Okay, and uh, let me see if I can't. Probably got too many windows open. Either that or they like, stop talking about Ghislaine Ghislaine. Everything's freezing. Hold on. You can go. All right. There we go. I just got a couple of articles I wanted to share with you guys before we wrap up tonight. Let's start here. Okay. Looks like we got it back. Okay. All right. So uh, let me bring that up on the screen for you guys. Okay. All right. So Ghislaine Maxwell's family appeals to United Nations for her release from jail. This is coming from the New York Post. As soon as the New York Post decides to cooperate with me. There we go. Okay. Let me expand this article on the uh, screen for you guys. There we go. There's our little socialite herself. Ghislaine, 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 Ghislaine. All right. Article says, Ghislaine Maxwell's siblings are now petitioning the United Nations in a bid to get the infamous accused sex trafficker released from jail pending trial after at least four bail 
four failed bail applications. The petition submitted Monday to the United Nations Working Group on Arbitrary Detention was filed by international criminal lawyers Francois Zimmeray and Jessica Fennell on behalf of Maxwell's three sisters and three brothers, according to a copy provided to the Post. The lawyers argue that Maxwell's abnormally rigorous locked-up conditions at the Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn are horrid and thus unlawful and discriminatory. Uh, the petition seeks for the United Nations to call on U.S. government to release Maxwell pending trial and to urge an independent investigation into her arbitrary detention. Arbitrary detention. That is just insane. Uh, the fallen British socialite is accused of procuring underage girls for late multimillionaire and convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein to abuse uh, from 1994 through 2004. Maxwell, who has pleaded not guilty in the case, is set to go to trial next week. That's where she's being held. In their petition the U uh, to the UN, the lawyers highlighted conditions Maxwell has raised, pardon me, in previous, in numerous previous failed appeals for release pending trial, including her being deprived of sleep by guards at the jail. She's awakened constantly at night and has been subjected to, uh, for the 500 plus days of her detention to a suicide watch completely inappropriate in the case of a non-suicidal person. Jeffrey Epstein was not suicidal also, if you guys recall, involving a flashlight shown every 15 minutes on her face to check that she is breathing, literally preventing her from sleeping, the petition states. She also is repeatedly searched throughout her day and has claimed she was inappropriately touched by guards in a sexual way on numerous occasions during the searches. In addition to the jail conditions, Zimmeray and Fennell argued that Maxwell will never be given a fair trial because she has been convicted in the court of public opinion and that prosecutors have not tried to show she is presumed innocent. Ghislaine Maxwell has been the subject of sustained and overwhelming media coverage aimed at presenting her as the accomplice to the crimes alleged against Jeffrey Epstein to the point that the certainty of her guilt is seen as clear-cut before any trial has taken place. U.S. Justice has not sought to resist or counter the extreme emotion of public opinion in the case as, it's, uh, as is its duty, and nor has it seized each and every opportunity to remind everyone that Maxwell is presumed innocent or to enable her to respond and prepare for her trial freely and with dignity, it continues. How interesting, right? That these people cry for presumption of innocence, right? They cry, oh, this is when it's it's useful for them. This is when, uh, you know, the rule of law, Miranda rights, all that good stuff is useful for them. When it's in their situation, when the ball is in their corner, that is exactly what we're talking about here. When we're talking about projection, we're talking about lying, propaganda, all of this stuff that we see quite plainly and clearly as a, a hypocrisy on their end of the thing. So not only do we have this, we have them appealing to the United Nations. We'll see how that goes for them. <laughs> There's that judge again. Oh, look at that. There's Judge Anthony Allison. Or is it uh, Nathan Allison? I mean, Allison Nathan. Okay. Uh, why do we bring her up on the screen again? Because another another situation in the case of Ghislaine Maxwell are the redactions, okay, is the information that will be shared in involving this this uh, this this trial. I mean, there's a lot of information, of course. We saw a lot of back and forth with Ghislaine Maxwell, her lawyers, 
uh, in the case of uh, of the um, Jufri, right? Uh, when they're talking about uh, the depositions and, and all of the information, the statements that Ghislaine had made under in testimony, uh, whether or not that would be shared. Uh, of course, it was revealed through all of that that she lied about her actual involvement with Jeffrey Epstein and how much she actually knew about him. So that actually worked against her. Uh, but we see that um, her, the lawyers of Ghislaine Maxwell are, are um, wanting to get a lot of these transcripts redacted. Okay, they don't want this to be made public information. Now, the judge here has actually conceded to some of these uh, redactions. Okay, some of the information they, they don't feel they should get out as well. Um, so let's see what this article says here. This is from Liberate America. Ghislaine Maxwell case details too impure for the public. So they're going to go ahead and let us know what we can see, right, when it comes to the case of Ghislaine Maxwell. Now, this is from her, uh, this is from the, the uh, jury selection. This uh, sketch here is from the jury selection. Again, no cameras. You can be a sketch artist and get in there. Not a sketchy artist, but a sketch artist, and you can go ahead and get in there. It says a federal judge on Thursday agreed with Ghislaine Maxwell's request to keep certain details in the criminal case against her secret, finding that information would be too sensational and impure to reveal to the public. Again, this is that J Judge Allison Nathan I showed you. Uh, U.S. District Judge Allison Nathan issued a ruling on redactions that Maxwell had asked for regarding transcripts the government filed under seal last month. Those portions of uh, the transcript which were redacted in the civil matter concern privacy interests and their disclosure would merely serve to cater to a craving for that which is sensational and impure, Nathan wrote in the order. The judge also granted redactions to that prosecutor when filing the transcript. Prosecutors had argued the redactions were necessary to protect the integrity of the investigation into Maxwell and to protect the privacy of third parties. The interest in protecting the safety and privacy of those individuals outweighs the presumption of access that attaches to those documents, Nathan wrote. Nathan also rejected some objections, rejected some objections Maxwell had to the prosecutor's uh, proposed redactions. Though the defendant contends that some of the information contained in the redaction is public, she furnishes no evidence to that effect, the decision states. Okay. So, again, some information is going to be withheld in the case of Ghislaine Maxwell, for it is that the public can't handle the truth, apparently, according to Judge Nathan Allison. Uh, but uh, that is that is that situation. And the last bit of information to share with you guys before we uh, get out of here tonight um, regarding the Ghislaine Maxwell is that the lawyers as well as Ghislaine are fighting to keep Jeffrey Epstein's black book out of the uh, criminal proceedings. Uh, let's see here. This article I have is about that black book. Some of you guys might be familiar with this information you go ahead and expand that here i can't get that ad out of the corner on this one so i apologize guys but uh he's gonna be there okay so uh let's see here glane maxwell the article states and this is from a uh, business insider uh, glane maxwell does not want jurors to see a copy of the little black book jeffrey epstein kept in his mansion that lists contact information for rich and powerful people in a partially redacted court filings from the past several weeks, federal prosecutors and attorneys 
Oh, I might be able to do that. Uh, Formax will have duked it out over whether a copy of the book referenced in the filings as Exhibit 52 can be entered into evidence so that portions of it may be shown to jurors at the British Socialite Sex Trafficking Trial, which is scheduled to begin with opening statements on Monday. Okay. Uh, Ms. Maxwell requests the government be precluded uh, from discussing the book at trial prior to a proper evidentiary foundation being established. Maxwell's lawyers wrote in a court filing. Um, so let's see here. Uh, this, the rest of the article goes on to talk about when the book was first published online and also about a lawyer who tried to sell it. Oh, about a man who tried. No, okay. Alfredo Rodriguez worked as a house manager at Epstein's Palm Beach, Florida mansion, and he tried to sell the book to a lawyer. So then, you know, the, the court found that man guilty um, of trying to sell it to a lawyer. It's here. It says right here. He was convicted and sentenced to 18 months in prison, this Alfredo Rodriguez, for trying to sell the book for $50,000 to Brad Edwards, an attorney representing dozens of women who have accused Epstein and Maxwell of sexual misconduct. The book has been in FBI custody ever since, prosecutors said in court filings. Rodriguez died in 2015. So this guy who tried to sell the black book in 2010 died in 2015. Okay. So uh, there's that. Now, you know, we like, we like our, uh, we like to have our fun here at the sea report. So uh, let's look at the gawker. <laughs> We're going to spend the next few minutes, guys, looking at the black book. You guys like that? You guys want to see the black book? If you're uh, listening to us on the podcast, we're going to look at the uh, published black book from Gawker. Uh, here's pedophile Jeffrey Epstein's little black book. Okay, so we had a link to this article. Uh, some of the people listed in this black book, of course, uh, don't forget, guys, guilty until proven innocent. Uh, Donald Trump, Alan Dershowitz, Courtney Love, Ehud Barak. Uh, that's just some of the things I see listed off the picture. Let's look at the article. Let's look at the article. Okay. Uh, and then uh, and then we'll be scooting on out of here, guys. Thank you all for uh, hanging out with us tonight here at the Sea Report over at Mr. CTV. It's good to be back with you all. Uh, it says here, Donald Trump, Courtney Love, former Israel Prime Minister Ehud Barak, and Uber lawyer Alan Dershowitz may have been identified by a butler as potential material witnesses to pedophile billionaire Jeffrey Epstein's crimes against young girls, according to a copy of Epstein's Little Black Book obtained by Gawker. An annotated copy of the address book, which also contains entries for Alec Baldwin, Ralph Fiennes, Griffin Dunn, New York Post gossip, Richard Johnson, Ted Kennedy, David Koch, filmmaker Andrew Jericke, and all manner of other people you might, uh, you might expect a billionaire to know, turned up in court proceedings after Epstein's former house manager, Alfredo Rodriguez, tried to sell it in 2009. About 50 of the entries, including those of many of Epstein's suspected victims and accomplices, as well as Trump, Love, Barack, Dershowitz, and others, were circled by Rodriguez. The existence of the book has been previously reported by the Daily Mail. Gawker is publishing it in full here for the first time. We have re redacted addresses, telephone numbers, email addresses, and the last names of individuals who may have been underage victims. Uh, just for a quick, uh, a quick uh, um, 
a quick uh, loose end tie up with the, the Rodriguez guy. It says, according to the FBI affidavit, Rodriguez described the address book and the information contained within it as the holy grail or golden nugget to unraveling Epstein's sprawling child sex network. But despite having been subpoenaed for everything he had on his former boss, Rodriguez did not share it with the FBI or Palm Beach Police Department detectives investigating Epstein. Instead, he tried to make $50,000 score by covertly peddling the black book to one of the attorneys launching lawsuits at Epstein on behalf of his victims. The plot backfired when the attorney reported Rodriguez to the FBI and he was promptly charged with obstruction of justice but not before he had, according to the FBI affidavit laying out the crime, marked up the book and an accompanying notepad with handwritten notes that contained information material to the underlying investigation that would have been extremely useful in investigating and prosecuting the case, including the names and contact information of material witnesses and additional victims. Rodriguez, who spent 18 months in prison, died in December after a long illness and never spoke out about the address book, so the precise significance of the names he circled remains fuzzy. But the FBI's case against him makes clear that Rodriguez regarded the address book as crucial to understanding Epstein's crimes. During a conversation with an undercover FBI agent posing as a potential buyer, he discussed in detail the information contained in the book and identified important information to the agent. In addition to the names above, as well as scores of apparent underage victims in Florida, New Mexico, California, Paris, and the United Kingdom, listed under the rubric of massage, the circled entries included billionaire Leslie Vexner, former New Mexico governor Bruce King, former New Mexico governor and Democrat presidential hopeful Bill Richardson, Peter Soros, the nephew of George Soros, former Miss Sweden and socialite New York City doctor Eva Anderson Dubin, or Dubin. Some of the circled entries included additional notes. One address in New York City, for instance, is marked as an apartment for models, and two names bear the marking witness. Asked why Rodriguez might have circled his name, Alan Dershowitz told Gawker, I've never seen the book and I have no idea what it means. I was neither a victim nor a material witness. I never witnessed any crimes or participated in any crimes and I can prove it. All right. Let's look. <laughs> Do you guys want to see this or not? Oh, wait, that's a search. Close that. Okay. So this is, uh, that's, these are the pages from the black book. We're obviously not going to go through all of this, guys, but uh, this is what you find. This is what it looks like, okay? <laughs> so, I don't know. I could read off some of these names as we go along. I mean, uh, nothing's really standing out, but you'd have to, like, I guess, uh, you know, research some of these people. Fernando Arion, uh, Joaquin Fernandez de Arion. Uh, Herb and Marlene Aaron, Lorinda Ash, I mean, you know, Doug Bands, Alec Baldwin, there's Alec Baldwin right there, um, Hillary Bathstone, uh, Cliva Bannister, Stephen Benson, Martin Birchhoff, Tara Bernard, Vanessa Von Bismarck, Debbie and Bola Von Bismarck, uh, let's see here, uh, Lorenzo Balmer, Conrad and Barbara Black, David Blaine, 
Tony Blair, Mike Bloomberg, mm -hmm. uh, Johnny and Sophie Borden. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, we could go through all of this, but Paolo Borges, Borges, See, uh, Flavio Briatore, his name is circled. Uh, whoever that is, I don't know who that is. Julia Broadhurst, Richard Branson. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Sil Sylviane uh, Bouchieri, Rick Bork. Mm -hmm. Jean-Luc Brunel. Oh, we all know who he is. Look, Jimmy and Jane Buffett. <laughs> Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> well, I mean, that's nothing to, to laugh at. Look at Candice Bushnell. I know that name. That's the writer of Sex and the City, Candace Bushnell. She's in the book. Wow, that's interesting. And, you know, I had just seen this. Uh, I had just seen this video about how they closed the Standard Hotel, and uh, the uh, person who was sharing the video was talking about how Sex and the City was filmed there a lot at the Standard Hotel. And now you see the writer for Sex and the City. Don't ask me how I know that, but you see the writer for Sex and the City's. Her name's in the book. Ah. Interesting. Uh, Roddy Campbell, Alster Campbell. Uh, let's see here. Emilio, Ca uh, Brooke and Emilio Campo, Del Campo. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I don't know. I have this article, so I might go through it and look up all these names. I think that would be interesting. This is uh, from a 2015 Gawker article. If anyone's interested, you know, you can go look it up. See what you can find. I mean, with the uh, Jeffrey Epstein proxy um, trial happening on Monday with Ghislaine Maxwell, this might be uh, this might be something to look at again. Uh, Giuseppe Cipriana, Cipriani, oh, Giuseppe Cipriani. That's an. I feel like I know who that person. Well, I don't know that. Obviously, know that person, but I might have seen them on a social. Um, let's see here. Uh, Okay, well, I tell you what I'm going to be doing tonight, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Something tells me I'm going to be looking at this while I'm laying in bed after the show tonight. Uh, I'm kind of curious about who else I'm going to find in here. <laughs> Wowzers. Uh, Prince Pierre Diarenberg. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, guys. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as they say, that is a wrap. Thank you all for tuning in today to uh, the Sea Report and joining us on uh, uh, the day's journey of interesting headlines and news. Uh, we will be back tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen. What time will we be back tomorrow? I couldn't tell you 100%. I'm going to say it's going to be around this time, 7, 7.30. Uh, it is Thanksgiving, guys, so I'm glad to be back with the family and uh, friends again for Thanksgiving. Uh, we will be live. I hope you all have a great and happy Thanksgiving, ladies and gentlemen. I hope your bellies are filled with as much Thanksgiving foods as you would care to enjoy. And uh, your uh, your homes and your hearts are filled with uh, family and friends for the holidays, guys. Have a safe one. And uh, we will see you again tomorrow. Um, don't forget to check us out at the podcast, uh, anchor.fm slash the sea report, or look for us on your favorite podcast platform, subscribe for free and, uh, never miss an episode. And also that helps out the show helps out the broadcast. We get a little bit of compensation for that. In the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for everyone who is here with us. Tam Growl, P Thaggy, Seize the Day, 9-11, Texas Gal, good to see ya. 
Glad you're in the house. The Texan, what's up, boss? How you doing, sir? And uh, we will see you guys again shortly. Till then, take care. As always, ladies and gentlemen, uh, be safe, be blessed, and God bless America. We'll see you next time.